Why do you say if Jesus is the light if we can't see him? That's a really good question, isn't it? I hope grace is a place where kids always feel they can ask hard questions like that. If you didn't hear it, why do we say that Jesus is the light when we can't see him? That's a really good question. When you think about the lights that are in this room, you can see all of these lights, can't you? The lights in the ceiling, um, the candles. We can see these lights, but we call Jesus the light of the world, but we can't see him. One of the things I love about that question is that even though it's asked by a child, it's really not a childish question. It's a question I still hear adults asking. This week, I was listening to a podcast, and the podcast consisted of interviews with people who decided to walk away from the Christian faith. And they were being interviewed saying, why did you choose to do that? And one of the themes was that people said, I just didn't see Jesus in my life. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could feel him. And when I looked out into the world and the, and the experiences of people around me, I couldn't see Jesus. I only saw darkness. So it brings up the question that, uh, that kids are asking, that adults are asking, if Jesus really is the light of the world, then why can't we see him? But there is a reason that Jesus himself and his earliest followers, and we today, as Christians 2,000 years later, are still convinced that we should be calling Jesus the light, and it's this. That like all good lights, Jesus helps us to see in the dark. The darkness of the world that we see, the struggles that people have, the aspects of the spiritual world that we feel in the dark about, Jesus is the light because he helps us see amidst that darkness. Go back to the podcast I was mentioning with the people who had left the Christian faith. It was interesting to me that the same people who had said they couldn't see Jesus also said this. They said, I felt that I still feel, even in my unbelief, I still feel like there's a spiritual reality out there. When I see the beauty in the world, when I think of my desire to live beyond death, when I see beautiful arts, I think there's something more. But basically what they were saying was, but I feel in the dark about it. And as I heard them say that, I thought, that's exactly why Jesus is so crucial. Because Jesus, as a light of the world, helps to illuminate and give light to those areas of life where there are questions, where we sense there's something more, but we just can't see it. Think about the questions that you ask, sometimes in the quietness of, you know, three o'clock in the morning with no one else around. Is there a God? Does he love me? Is there a purpose to my life? Is there life beyond this life? What can heal this world that I'm in? You, we have those questions, but we often feel like those people on the podcast, like we're just in the dark about whether there are answers. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he has answers to each one of those questions. Jesus sheds light on those questions we have where we only feel darkness about reality. That's exactly why C.S. Lewis, if you've heard of him, famous author, that's why C.S. Lewis moved from atheism to faith in Jesus. He said it this way, I believe in Jesus, like I believe in the sun, not just because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. Just as the physical sun gives light to the world around us, that if we didn't have the sun, we'd be stumbling in the dark. In the same way, Jesus, the son of God, gives light to those spiritual realities that are nagging at us, that we say, there's something more, but we just can't see it. 
Jesus gives us the light to say, this is what it is. So what does this mean for you and I? It means that this Christmas is an opportunity to celebrate the fact that because of Jesus, we can see in the dark. It can mean that as you're driving home tonight and as you see Christmas lights on houses and lights on trees, that it can point you to an ultimate light. So let's go back to the question that was originally asked. Why do we call Jesus the light when we can't see him? I'll close with allowing Jesus to answer that question. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why did the angels appeal to the shepherds, not the wise men's or the idols? For those of you who didn't catch that question, the question is, why did the angels appear only to the shepherds and not to the wise men or others as well? And I really love this question. And uh, I love it because I feel like it really gets to um, kind of the core of who Jesus is and the core of, Jesus, uh, of what Jesus did, both here on earth and through his death and resurrection. As we hear that question and we read that and we hear that story and we hear about the angels appearing and making this declaration, one thing is perfectly clear from a purely human perspective, and that thing is this makes no sense. The, if, I mean, if you think about it, if you were looking to launch a world-changing movement uh, and you were looking to launch it with this miraculous event and you were to make a list of the people that you wanted to make sure were included, were going to be witness to this miraculous event, you, you might include people like, you, you, know, you might be thinking of governors, uh, mayors, uh, kings, uh, the influencers of society, um, the people that really shape and mold the way people think and how people respond to certain things. This is not this group of people. This, this, this is not the shepherds. The shepherds are, uh, in, in biblical society, are the people that are pretty much among the lowest of the low when it comes to social status, level of respect, level of influence. They weren't even really allowed to really fully participate in the religious life of their community because of the nature of their job. The, so the angels making this announcement to the shepherds is pretty much picking the least influential, least notable group of people that they could possibly pick. And I gotta, if I were the one making this plan, I would be thinking, really? This? The shepherds? You know, not the king? Not the governor? But... If we're, if we're going to truly understand this, I think what we need to do is take a step back and start to look at the life and ministry in Jesus and who Jesus is. And there's a lot of possible reasons that we might look at that might be why the angels are choosing the shepherds to make this announcement. I mean, first and foremost, it could be there, there's this declaration of Jesus as our great shepherd, the, the one who leads and protects and provides for his flock and ultimately will lay down his life for his sheep. 
And then we see foreshadowing of Jesus' sacrificial death as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we also could be seeing here a statement to the religious elite that their piety and their self-righteousness doesn't grant them any real sort of special status or access to God. And all of these things might tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe why shepherds first, but not really why shepherds only. And for that answer, I think we need to take a bit, little bit of a bigger picture look at the life and ministry of Jesus. And as we look at the life of Jesus, you read throughout the Gospels, you see that really at no point in Jesus' life uh, or his ministry does he really associate himself with what would be considered the appropriate people. You know, as we, we look at his birth, he's born in a stable surrounded by shepherds. His very first disciples that he calls are a group of fishermen, tradesmen, a tax collector. You know, not the, you know, rabbinical students. Um, he consistently is eating with and staying with and spending time with people that are really considered the lowest of the low in society, the outcasts of society. This is simply, all of these things are simply not what a religious leader of the time would do. And people pointed that out to Jesus quite a bit, that this is not what you do, unless, unless it's the point. Unless all of this highlights and punctuates the main point of Jesus' coming. Why did, why did the angels appear only to shepherds? Because it's a dramatic statement of the whole point of Jesus coming, his life, and his ministry. The point is that all people, regardless of status, of circumstance, of mistakes, of scars, ethnicity, or any other line that we choose to divide ourselves by, all of us have free and direct access to a relationship with God through Jesus and what he did because of Emmanuel, like we just sang. God with us. And that relationship isn't based on anything I'm bringing to the table. It's not based on any inherent value that I have. It's not based on anything great that I've done. It's certainly not based on any status that I have, but solely on what Jesus has done for us. And I like how Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is verses 26 through 31, and I'm going to close with this. Paul writes, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God shows things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord.
But why? Because why would why would God become human? If being God was so much better. Why would God become human when being God is so much better? I had a ch- we were talking about the different questions we were going to handle. And I left Dave and Eric choose, but I was hoping I'd get this one. <laughs> there is no greater, or not many, greater theological questions that I can think of than why did God become man? And the question, part of it needs to be addressed in that when God became man, when Jesus became a man, he never stopped being God. There are some big theological words that are used to describe that. We won't use them tonight. But the fact is that when Jesus became a man, he was the only one in all of the universe and all of creation who would ever be fully God and fully man. When he was born to the Virgin Mary, he was still fully God and fully man. When he walked among us and was involved in the ministry for the three or four years that he was involved, he was still fully God and fully man. And one of the greatest realities of all, when he died on that cross, he was fully God and fully man. But the question isn't so much about how did God do that? What a great question. Why would God do that? Tomorrow morning, when the kids come over, we'll sit together, and I imagine them sitting down in front of me now and asking that question. Why would God come and be like us? Part of a story. A story of a family that lived by a lake. They had a nice big backyard out behind their house. And at the very edge of their yard was a, a wall. On the other side of the wall was the lake. And it being this time of the year was cold. Not quite enough to freeze the water, but enough to make it terribly, terribly cold. The children wanted to go out and play, and the instructions came down, fine, you can go out and play, but stay away from the water. Stay away from the wall. Children went out and started playing. They were out there for some time. But like children, they got curious. They wondered what the water looked like at this time of year. So they made their way down to the wall. One of them got a little bit too close and in looking over began to fall. And the other one grabbed for their sibling and they both fell in the water. The father was sitting in the house, nice and warm by the fire with a warm cup of tea about to sip it when he saw the children fall in. 
If I had children around me, I would have asked them, what's that father going to do? He's warm. He's comfortable. Maybe he's sitting in his lounge chair. But the children would know what that father would do. He would tear out of that house. He would run towards that wall. He would throw off the sweater that would bind him and kick off his shoes that would keep him from being able to move in the water. And he would dive in that water no matter how cold it was, no matter how frigid it was. And he would dive in there and be where they were in order to save them. All those children needed to do at that point was just to grab onto their dad and be rescued. And after that father had brought them out of the cold and risked his own life to save them, where would he carry them? He'd carry them back into that warm house where they could be together. In that story, you could say to a child, why did that father do that? And they probably can answer. Because he loved them. And there was nothing that was going to keep him from doing what was necessary to save those children. Why did God become a man? Why did he give up all of the wonder of heaven? Why did he take on the form of a human? Because he loved us. And he wanted to save us. Philippians chapter 2, in one of the most personal letters that Paul ever wrote, is one of the strongest theological statements about Jesus. And Paul, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, writes these words. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the very form of God, he dwelt in the glories of heaven. If he not consider equality with God as something to be held on to. But he emptied himself took on the form of a servant. And being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself to death, even the death of a cross. Why did God become man? Because he was the only one who could save us. He was the only one who could pay for the sins that began with Adam and Eve, two children, who in their curiosity and defiance disobeyed God. He was the only one who could do what was necessary. And so Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. Scriptures goes on to say that he died for us. But that's not the end of the story. For you see, when his children grab on to what he has done, 
It is his desire to take them home. And there, to live in the glory of his presence forever. The question, why did God become a man? When being God was so much more amazing? It's because he loved us. Because he, only knew, he knew the only way to save us was that God himself would reconcile us by dying in a physical body for the sins of us all. Paul reminds us that all of it was by grace. But we appropriate it to our lives through faith. Not of the things we do but the faith to trust in what Christ has already done. And in that, our sins are forgiven. The relationship is restored. We are saved from the travesty. And we will dwell with him in the glory of his presence forever. That's why God became a man.